for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. If logistics to doing a western elk hunt is something that has kept you from pulling the trigger, then you don't want to miss today's Inside Edition. On today's show, Dylan Ferreira, a Rhode Island game biologist, shares every logistical aspect of traveling from Massachusetts to New Mexico for a five-day elk hunting adventure, turning his dream into a reality. He covers travel plans and considerations, safety precautions, rental vehicles, meat processing logistics, equipment prep, and performance, as well as cost for all aspects of his adventure. And guys, a story about car rentals that we just had to laugh about. So my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Ornelas and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. Welcome to our Insights Special Edition. Hope you enjoy the show. If this is your first time with us on our Insights Edition, our goal is to interview people from all walks of life that bring their viewpoints, expertise, or stories about elk and elk hunting because we want to inspire, guide, and educate you. I'm Joe Gillia, your host for the show. Our guest today, Dylan Ferreira, a Rhode Island game biologist turned western elk hunter and dylan buddy you're about as far east as you can get welcome to the show thanks for having me joe i really appreciate being on yeah and uh, hopefully i can inspire some people like you guys have inspired me oh that's awesome man and you know rhode island biologist which is way cool first of all right <laughs> yeah i love it turn western elk hunter uh tell us a little bit about that journey yeah, so I actually live in Massachusetts. Uh, apart from, you know, the western part of the United States, the east coast, all the states are very small. So it's real easy to live in one state and work in another. So I make the commute every day. It's about an hour. Um, but yeah, I grew up hunting and fishing, got into wildlife at a young age and just grew a passion for it. And then I figured if I love hunting and fishing so much, why not try and get a job in that realm? So I didn't think professional hunting was going to be a career path. So I looked down the biologist route and Lucky, right. luckily enough, ended up getting a gig. So, yeah, I've been very fortunate. Um, spent a lot of time doing some research along the East Coast and throughout the country. So, got lucky, landed a job at home. So, things are good. That's awesome, bud. Now, before we go get into the meat of this and, and go into what uh, we really want to talk about in the show, I don't know if you, uh, you've listened to a few of our podcasts. So, you kind of know our tradition about doing some shout outs. And, so I actually, I'm going to kind of turn the table a little bit with you being on the guest here as a guest. Um, is there a, I don't know, a hometown, a place or a person that inspired you to hunting that you'd like to give a shout out to right now? Yeah. I mean, growing up, you know, it was a family tradition for us to go out hunting. I and mean, then mostly that was with my father and my grandfather and, you know, uncle and my brother. So we spent a lot of time, you know, going trout fishing, going in the woods, deer hunting. And you know, my father, he is not a huge hunter. He took right. me out when I was younger and I grew a passion for it. And he sort of 
gave me the boot and let, kind of let me do it on my own. Um, <laughs> but he's always told me, you know, make sure you have fun doing whatever you're doing and having fun. So he's been a real motivator for me just in life, just to, you know, have fun, do whatever you're doing and just enjoy it. You know, every day going to work or whenever I see him, he, no matter what I do, he's always saying, yep, go have fun when I'm going to work, or going in the woods. You That's know, awesome, man. Fun. So dad has a name and where is he? So dad is John um, and Ferreira, of course. Uh-huh. Um, and he's right here in Swansea, Massachusetts, you know, see him pretty regularly. So yeah. It's, uh, Big shout out to John. Him. Yeah. I don't think he listens. He hates the, uh, the black boxes or the iPhones, as you call them. <laughs> That's all right, bud. There'll be one day when you can just flip it on him. You can go over there. Hey, Dad, listen to this, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll slip it on YouTube What in between his car shows. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. And I'm going to give a quick shout-out, if you don't mind, because uh, we, you know, I, I have put on our podcasts that if we have small-town guys that don't get noticed as our top listeners to send something send something in to us and we love to give them a shout out and right away yesterday man on our IG uh, I want to give a shout out to one of our small town grinder, grinders Jake Durand from Spring Valley Wisconsin and it's so cool man we get all those eastern northeastern states man that uh, that listen to our show so Jake big shout out man big tip of the hat to you bro so um, where I want to go, Dylan, is, and the whole idea of this show is that when you and I, basically, the way we first met had nothing to do with a face-to-face or a meeting out in the woods or anything like that. It was uh, an email that I received from you. Yeah, I mean, started looking, I hunt back east, you know, for deer, ducks, turkeys, pretty much everything on the east coast. And one of my supervisors went out west to hunt elk for the first time DIY with a rifle hunt uh-huh. and he shot and he shot a bull you know on his own I was like wow that's pretty cool and then not where what year, state was he in bud he went to Colorado okay yeah. awesome um so then not the next year the following year uh he went out again DIY same unit and he shot another bull and I was like this is insanity it's like <laughs> I've I've had enough of sitting on the sidelines I want in so he ended up talking a bunch and he kind of gave me a little kick in the rear end to get motivated and do it myself. Uh-huh. Um, so I started doing some research, listening to the podcast, watching TV, you know, YouTube, the whole nine came across you guys. And when I finally drew, I was like, well, this is real. I kind of got to get serious and start looking and seeing what's out there for things in New Mexico. Cause that's where I drew. And then you guys, you know, put on a ton of information for people to learn and educate themselves. And you said, if you had any questions, shoot in an email. And I was like, they said it. So I'm going to follow up with them and see how they do. Heck yeah. And you guys were right there to respond. So very, very helpful. What I want everybody to understand is, is never had elk hunted before in your life. Had hunted, right? Yeah. And so you were, you had everything that you needed to go elk hunting so in terms of everything I needed to go out and hunt elk, looking back at it now, I had everything I needed. I decided to upgrade all of my gear to mm-hmm. get me to that quote unquote next level of a hunter. If you look at gear and not, you know, buy, buy tags, not gear. I was like, well, I'm going to buy gear cause I'm going to do, I plan on doing this forever. But in terms of the stuff that you need, you know, I think I had most of it, but right. decided, to, decided to upgrade a lot of my gear. Uh, you had um, you had your weapon. You had the camo. Um, I, I'm I'm sure there's its own type of things for elk hunting. You know, like calls and grunt tubes and stuff that you had never had done that before. And those are things you had to get. So you had all the camping gear and everything like that as well. Yeah. So I've ended up buying all my gear. So I picked up new camping gear, tent, sleeping bag, pad. You know, uh, backcountry stove, fuel kind of the whole nine, I, all the, like the Western style camping right. and hunting si- right. situations, that stuff right. I purchased, but everything else was pretty, pretty typical hunting equipment. And okay. So you say pretty typical, you know, all right. I don't think you do anything typical because <laughs> when, when, I, when I received your email and, and this is for everybody listening out there as well. When I received the email from you, uh, first of all, first time you applied in New Mexico, you drew. Yeah. Uh, first time. Holy Toledo, man. Somebody needs to rub that head. And, uh, (laughs) and, and I received this email and it wasn't an email that said, Hey, Joe, I'm coming to New Mexico. Where should I hunt? 
it wasn't like that. It was basically um, you had a hunt plan of multiple areas with multiple pins uh, from Onyx for me to be able to look at and say, you know, well, how do you feel about this hunt plan? And when I pulled up the hunt plan on Onyx, I mean, it had where we're going to camp, uh, where we're going to be spotting from, where we think the feeding areas are. I mean, you had everything marked out in multiple colors and different. Er uh, look, when I looked at that, I went, holy crap, man, this guy's got his stuff together. You did your homework. Yeah, I, you know, I, I like to think of things as the, the effort you put in is the reward you're going to get at the end of the day. So if I didn't put any effort in, I didn't expect to have any success at all. Um, and we can get into that later on, but yeah, I tried, you know, if I'm going to ask somebody for help, I'm not just going to go up to them and be like, Hey, can you help me? You know, don't hold my hand. I want to have to do the work on my own. And if I need a nudge in the right direction, I'm, I'm happy to take advice, but yeah, I like to do the work on my own. Yeah, it was awesome. You grind it out. So how did you know where to look in? Because I know most of the guys, the whole thing that we're talking about this is for somebody like yourself to come out and come out West for um, a Western elk hunt, most guys take a look at that and it is so intimidating. It's so daunting. I mean, it, it's like, where do I start, man? You know, uh, <laughs> that yeah, didn't, it didn't hit you like that. You know, something growing up my entire life, you know, you're sitting on the couch, you're watching Primos or whoever it is hunt elk. And there's these giant, big, majestic animals screaming and bugling coming up to people and you're like wow wouldn't it be cool to do something like that right and it never really dawned on me that it's like you can easily go do that just like anybody else can all you're going to do is get a tag buy a plane ticket and a rental car and that's basically it so i mean the logistics of it seems super intimidating when you're out here on the east coast that's so many miles away what happens if you shoot it out process and butchering and it's very intimidating but if you break it down it's real simple when you really try and look at just the, the real simple aspects of each thing. Well, you almost sound like a, a pro at doing it, but you did it for the first time last year. And uh, how did you know where to start? Dylan? Yeah, so a lot of the things that I learned all are mostly from podcasts and then your typical YouTube, Netflix, you know, hunting shows. So for podcasts, I got a list here. You know, of course, the Blue Collar Elk Hunting um exo mountain gear they make backpacks they have a podcast hunt back country the meat eater jay scott outdoors cutting the distance not a grande hunt talk and elk talk so those are some really very helpful podcasts for just all elk hunting so they talk about logistics scouting hunting packing butchering i mean almost every one of those podcasts covers their own way they do things so you right. become to be exposed to a wide array of how everybody does something and in a, you know, maybe a month or so you've kind of got a pretty good handle on what you think people are doing out there and it's like hey it's really not that hard everybody's doing this so it can be done yeah it can be done so let's um let's see how undifficult we can make this now i know that you had a, a list because you basically went from ground zero getting all the equipment. Um, for the people that are going to be watching this on, on YouTube, can you pop, pop that list up for us? So when you take a look at this, this is from ground zero, everything from uh, hunting license, elk tag. And, and again, this is New Mexico, right, that you're going to. Yep. And, uh, you know, I kind of take a look through this and and – let everybody know this is not a bow hunt. This is a rifle hunt. Before I get yep. too deep in this, you plan on doing this again? Oh, yeah. I already put in for next year. Um, so I went with my cousin last year. He didn't have a tag. We, I tried convincing him to put in with me, um, but it just didn't work out. He said, nah, just do, do it yourself. And if you draw, maybe I'll tag along. So he came out with me without a tag, and we had the time of our lives. We can get into that later on. But, yeah, so him and I put in for New Mexico. And then if we don't draw there, we also put in for Colorado. And that's actually uh, him, my brother, and myself. So three of us put in for Colorado. So what if you don't draw to either place? If we don't draw to either place, we're going to go OTC in Colorado. 
there you or go. Idaho, or Idaho, but most likely Colorado since we already bought the licenses and stuff. So what was your total cost of your hunt? I mean, it looks like how much, how much did you pay for in equipment right here? So if I'm looking at everything that I paid for, and that includes my hunting license, elk tag, rental truck, flights, you know, I bought a brand new rifle, a scope, backpack, boots, tent, you know, if I total all that up, I'm looking just, just over $7,000. Over $7,000. Yep. And that's everything from top to bottom. And I go by the motto, buy once, cry, cry once. I'm young, 26 years old. I plan to do this for a long time. So I just decided to bite the bullet on the first elk hunt. And then from here on out, I'm just looking at those top three or four expenses of a, a license, a tag, and a rental and flights. And that's pretty much it from here so on So for out. our grinders out there, for those guys, man, that we talk to all the time, man, they're trying to get something like this done on a budget if they had the gear that they need to. Now, I know there, there's always going to be things like you got to get your food, but um, is food something that you really put into the budget? So food is something I put into the budget this first um, this first trip, just because dehydrated food, those meals running around seven to ten bucks a piece for your, right. like, your typical mountain house meals. Right. Um, but after watching Randy Newberg, he explained it in a good way where even if you're back home, you still have to eat. So he kind of considers that a sunk cost. So when the girlfriend asks how much did I spend, I don't have to tell her about the food. I'm like, ah, eh, she doesn't need to know about that. It makes it all. I consider that a wash. Right. Absolutely. So you, you take a look at this then, um, basically, uh, if you were just to take, because, and say you had all the gear already, what do you think your total cost is to get out here and, and to be able to hunt elk? I'd say you're looking at right around 2000 bucks, right around you know, 2000, right? Yeah. So you, you think somebody can do that between 1500 and $2,000? Yeah. I think if you really shop smart with your flights and you can get them cheap, um, you can get them cheaper than I get them, honestly, if you book them ahead of time mm-hmm. and aren't, um, and you're not concerned about layovers and maybe multiple stops. I, lo- I think it's probably best to reduce your amount of stops to reduce the risk of losing gear. Right. Um, but if you weren't concerned about that and you had total faith in airlines, which I may or may not, um, I decided <laughs> to pay a little extra and go as direct as possible. So that's the thing that, that gets me too is let's talk, you know, the gear. You know, you had to get uh, a weapon over here. You had to get, I, I, I see that you have an XO backpack on here. So um, are you checking everything? Are you, are you doing anything as carry-on? Yeah, so with two, so I flew Southwest. My cousin and I both flew Southwest. Uh-huh. We went from Logan, which is in Boston, to Midway in Chicago, then into Albuquerque. So when you fly Southwest, you get two free check bags under 50 pounds and then a carry-on and I believe a personal item. So we walked onto the planes with our backpacks and our bino harnesses. So wait, 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 wait. So your backpack was your carry-on? Yeah. So on my XO, and I believe it's a 3500, stuffed to the brim with clothes was my carry-on. And I think I even had some of my electrics in there electronics like battery charger stuff like that that was my carry-on you know it no, might have no been a, problem getting on there with that as a carry-on nope no problem at all you know they have their typical like you know your cutout or it can be this big by this big you know i put it up to it and i'm not going to say it was fitting in those dimensions it was probably a little on the big side uh-huh. but i had it on my backpack checked my ticket and walked right on the plane stuffed it in the overhead bin and nobody batted an eye at it oh wow that's awesome man so yeah. the the rest of your gear, like your rifle. Yeah. So then we had a rifle, a suitcase, and a cooler. So the rifle, you have to have, um, you take, well, I took the bolt out of it, uh-huh. put that separately in the case. All your ammunition has to be in the locked container in its own box. So I used the manufacturer's box, kept it in there. And then for each lockable point on your case has to have a padlock. Or I believe a combo lock as well, but I use a padlock, um, and they do not have to be TSA approved. So that's one checked item. The second checked item was a suitcase, and that's where we put a ton of our other gear and just like miscellaneous things, right. back, uh, like gloves, headlamp, stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, so that was for the two of us, and then we brought a cooler for other gear and other food. So we checked three items um, in total 
and then we had one extra item that we could have checked on the way back. Like so how big was the cooler, Dylan? The cooler was, it was like a Yeti, like maybe 110 or something like that. I'm not positive. So it wasn't light then if it was a Yeti. No, no, it wasn't light. So that's one of the things is in order to be um, under 50 pounds, you know, that, cool, that cooler wasn't full of gear. We put a lot of our light food in there because those dehydrated meals don't weigh much. Right. They're just they're just bulky, so they take up space. Right. So we just stuffed them in the cooler, and that's how that, that's how we did it with that. So, which is kind of a good plan because if if you're putting stuff in that you're actually going to eat that's going to disappear, and you're successful, um, and you plan on being successful, then that means that uh, whatever was in that coming back home isn't going to be able to be in it. You got to figure something else out, right? Yeah, exactly. So our plan was if we shot a bull, and I don't know if I'm jumping too far ahead, but our plan was we shoot a bull, we get it processed, we bring it to a butcher either by ourselves or with a packer. And then while we were there and it was being processed, we'd buy two big, like 150 core igloo coolers, the real cheap right. light ones. And then on the ride back, we'd fill up our Yeti to about as full as it can go under 150 pounds so southwest has a limit of total weight per bag of 150 pounds right so then we'd bring that cooler back full of meat we'd buy two more coolers and we'd pack those full of meat and then you can pay for extra bags that are overweight with southwest as well for 150 dollars a piece okay so i i gotta jump in with this here because i i deal with processors all the time and so you guys are on how many days is your hunt that you guys came out for? So our hunt is a five-day season, Saturday five, to Wednesday. Five-day five day hunt. And if you end up getting an animal on day five, I mean, I've taken stuff to the processor that I don't get back for two weeks. How, how did you guys plan for that? Yeah, so we planned for this in two ways. Um, when we flew, when we booked our flight, we booked ahead of the hunt and after. So we were flying in on a Wednesday giving us two days to scout and one day to do logistical things, go to game and fish, go to Walmart and drive to the main spot. We planned on scouting the first day. So then you scout for two days, hunt for five days. And then the event you shot a bull on the last day, which was a Wednesday, uh -huh. we were going to fly home on Saturday. So that would give us time to either pack it out ourselves or have it packed out by a packer. And then we called a bunch of butchers ahead of time and seen if they would be able to expedite the butchering process. That way they could butcher it, freeze it, get it to us, and we could fly it home for Saturday. And so how you just long? To... What was the turnaround on that? So they say it's anywhere from like a day to two days. I think it just depends on how busy they are. Right. But I think money talks there. And if most of the time they do charge you an expedite uh, a fee to expedite it. Right. But if you probably put down a little bit more money, that might bump you up to the beginning of the line, you know, if it's something you needed to do, because the ship to meet home would have been way too expensive. So it's worth paying the, the fee to expedite it. So what do you think it would have cost you? Because uh, you got to figure between 200, 250 pounds of meat generally. Once it's all off the bone and everything's processed and, and, and done like that, it's going to be right around 200 pounds of meat, right? So. Yeah. What do you think that cost to get that meat home above every uh, the rest of your costs of, of your regular flight would have cost you? So I think it would have cost, if we would have did one cooler, that Yeti, mm -hmm. under 50 pounds, that, that cooler goes free if you keep it under 50. The other two coolers, since you're going overweight and then, you might as well go to the max. So our plan was to have two coolers maxed out at 150 pounds each. So that puts okay. you at around 300 pounds total, plus or minus, you know, 15 pounds for the coolers. So in theory, it would cost you an extra approximately $300 if it's $150 per cooler or per bag overweight. So if you go overweight on that third, third cooler, it's an extra 150 bucks. So I think you could squeak by at 300. And if you wanted to play it safe, you budgeted for five, you'd probably be able to cover everything. So your Yeti was basically to keep everything for you um, while you guys were out on the hunt to ensure that you didn't have to worry about loss of food or, or you had ice or you could get meat back because you weren't going to be able to do it all in, in, that, in that 110 Yeti. 
Yeah. Yep. So that, that Yeti was mainly for holding food and ice and hot water cold during the hunt. Uh-huh. And then once the hunt's over, you have no food or water to really worry about. So were you so, guys base camp camping? Were you trunk camping? Were you bivy camping? What was the... Yeah, so our plan was, if you're familiar with like Born of the Rays, their Land of the Free style, that was pretty much our style. You know, running mm-hmm. gun, backpack on your, uh, or camp on your back. And what it turned, it turned out to be every other, every day we ended up going to a new spot. But we would, you know, day one, hike into a spot with essentially three days of food, you know, ready to hunt there for three days. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd hike in, camp for the night. And if we didn't see any sign, we'd bail out, get in a truck, and go to our next pin on the map. Unfortunately, that's what we did every day. We never ran into any elk. Um, but, yeah, so we just camped with uh, – or we backpacked in with camp on our back and left the cooler at the truck. That way we'd come back to the truck. There'd be cold Gatorades, fresh meat, bread, mustard, mayonnaise, string cheese was a big hit when we got back to the truck. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we kept all our food cold there so that way it wouldn't spoil. And it was a nice treat to have a nice orange Gatorade. So we're going we're gonna to keep hit, hammering on some logistics and go through some of this stuff. But since I'm already here on the hunt and, and it kind of feeds some of the stuff that we're doing um, – is that something, is that the style that you're going to go for the next time? Or do you feel like that was efficient? Do you feel like uh, that, that's the way you want to do it? Um, where, are you, where are you at with that? I think next, uh, next year, so granted it was a rifle hunt. So it was October 12th to the 16th of 2019. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, our plan was to bugle and hike and bugle and hike and bugle and hike. I think as a couple of first timers out in the West, we were just so amazed by the country. It's like we were kind of just sightseeing with our, with a gun, really. It's like every spot we'd get to be like, wow, this is so awesome. And you just, you end up, you know, cruising these ridges or trails or bottoms, crossing streams. You're just like, you're just in awe the entire time about how beautiful this country is and how crazy the terrain is compared to out here where it's so flat. Right. Um, So our plan next year, I think the plan is the same, but I think we'll do a better job of hiking bugle, hiking bugle, hiking bugle. I think that's our main plan here. Yeah, you know, because if I could say anything at this point, I I think a lot of guys get so caught up in the hiking bugle, hiking bugle, hiking bugle, that I think that they, in in trying to get from one point to another point, I think they pass a lot of elk, Um, you know, especially the elk that aren't, maybe being vocal. So that's just something to, to keep in mind. I, I, but I'm with you as far as you get back in there. And I mean, coming from mass to, to New Mexico <laughs> into the, the wilderness of New Mexico, shock. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something you, you can't really ever expect the emotions you feel. It's, You know, I've been out west one other time in Colorado for work and, you know, you get out there and you're just like, oh, my God, you're like (laughs) you're in the mountains. You're like, this is what the wild feels like. I mean, back home, you can't go a mile in the woods without hitting a road. Right. So to get out there and just have this vast, very, very vast expanse of just wilderness is very overwhelming. But once your boots on the ground and you're in it. It's just, you're hunting just like you're hunting deer or turkeys back home. You know, the concepts are a little different, you know, whether you're bugling or glassing, because obviously we're not glassing here. But once you're hunting, you're like, hey, it's like, we know how to hunt. We've done this before, you know. Once you're out there, you're like, okay, you know, once the shock factor kind of wears off and you're like looking around and back here, you know, you look 100 yards and it's just trees. When you're out there, it's like you can look for miles and miles and so miles. So what would you say, you, how deep were you in from the vehicle at any one time, the, the deepest? The deepest was probably like four miles. And that was um, one of the nights that we, so the season wasn't open yet. We were scouting that night, right. walking into this section. Um, we went about four miles in and, you know, walking and bugling and then, Every so often you'd, we'd go off trail to like, if we saw a spot on Onyx that looked like a good area, maybe some meadows, we'd kind of go cruising through there and see if we saw any fresh sign. Right. Um, 
never saw any fresh sign there. We did hear a bugle there up on top of this mountain. Um, and we ended up bailing out of there to go back to a different spot where we saw elk when we were scouting the, the first day we scouted. So you're four miles in. What's the plan, bud? I mean, what was the temperature like, first of all? So the temperatures during the day, I want to say they were around 50 to 70 throughout okay. the entire week uh-huh. um, that we were there. But most of the time during the mornings, you know, you're getting out of your bag. It's chilly. It's cold. You want to put on a bunch of layers, but you force yourself not to. Um, so chilly and cold. What's chilly and cold? Chilly and cold is like right around 35 Okay. You know, on the average night. It's funny. That night when we were four miles in, it actually dropped down to 17, which was <laughs> – <laughs> which That's is cold <laughs> it's cold because i'm not a camper but it was cold <laughs> i remember waking up in the middle of the night and i just had frost on my eyelashes my beard my mustache yeah i was, I was gonna like, ask oh, you if that was the chilly or the cold <laughs> that was the freezing night i don't want to tell people about that that was a miserable night my cousin was like what did we sign up for <laughs> so, he skimped out on a bag, so he was so, miserable that night. Some pretty good cold nights then. So if you do get an animal back there four miles in, um, you got the ability to do some hanging, get the meat cooled down and stuff. Because I was going to say, what was the plan uh, as far as if you're four miles in, what was the plan to get that animal out? Yeah, so the plan is depending. So every like everybody always says, it depends. So if the weather is really hot mm-hmm. and we're five miles in, four miles in, Right. it's the smartest thing to do to call a packer and get that meat out of there. That way you're not having any spoil from, you know, heat loss. So you had but cell service? Most of the time we, we would be able, we were able to get cell service if you were up on a high ridge. Uh-huh. Um, but that one particular spot, we did not have cell service. But I did get a Garmin inReach. So I was able to use awesome. that to kind of text, stuff like that. Um, but the plan was because the, the inReach, it was kind of confusing actually using it. I'm still not a pro at that by any means, but the plan was sh- shoot a bull. The first pack out, we'd probably do by ourselves, regardless of where we were, just to kind of experience the suck, as they say. Right. Um, and then when we got to the truck, most of the time, wherever we were, wherever the truck was, we'd have service. And then it could get a hold of a packer and then have them pack the rest out if we wanted to pack it out. Granted, if we were a mile from the truck right. and it was going to be cold and it didn't call for real warm days, yeah, I we had no qualms with packing it out on our backs. You know, I, I was looking forward to the brutal and the suck, honestly. <laughs> the brutal and suck. I like you, man. I, I That's why we get along, Dylan. Man. I like somebody who likes the brutal and the suck. <laughs> yeah, those are, it's, uh, that's what you look back and remember. You're like, wow, like, that's the fun is when it was miserable. I mean most of the nights we had were pretty easy in terms of temperature wise. Right. But that one night of 17 degrees, I mean, that was brutal and it sucked, but I will never forget it. And you can see the smile on my face. I thinking about it brings back so many good memories. Yeah. That, that's now you said something about the in reach about, uh, it was a little confusing. I, I want to pull that out real quick. How? So the in reach, um garmin makes it an in reach it looks like a little gps it hooks up to well you can use bluetooth to hook it up to your cell phone you can send text and you might even be able to make phone calls i'm not sure but i know you can text um but what was just confusing was sometimes you were never i was never able to tell if messages were sending receiving them it was just i was never sure what was really going on right but you do have the SOS feature, and that's the main reason I got it, was if something were to happen out there, we'd be able to you know, hit that SOS button and get some help. But I think it did work. Every time I sent a message to somebody, you know, parents back home, girlfriend, uh-huh. I think they got it. It's just the communication back to me seemed a little shaky. You know, I would get them, but sometimes it'd be random. So, so you, you didn't immediately get response back from it, but people can respond that they did receive it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people were getting them. A lot of times I just ended up sending multiple of the same text, which right. ended up cost you more money depending on what plan you get, which is a little bit of annoying, but it's like, eh, whatever, you know. Well, uh, so, but I, I want to talk about that annoying because d- did you get an annual plan? Did you get a monthly plan? Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, I just got an email from Garmin like two weeks ago saying they refunded me accidentally and then charged me another, you know, 12 bucks. But so you have to, from what I remember, you have to sign up for this sort of annual membership. 
Okay. And then you can select which months you want to, or a freedom plan, I believe is the technical word. And then you can pick and choose when you want it to be activated, what month. So there's your freedom plan, which is a year subscription or an annual subscription. And I can't remember what that costs, maybe 15, 20 bucks. And then you pay by the month for the months you plan on hunting. So for us, we really never really need an on X because we're never out in places that we don't have cell service unless we're elk hunting. So right. for the one month we're out, we, we um, activate it for that month. And then you get, you know, 20 text messages for the month at 10 or 15 bucks a piece or 10 or 15 bucks for the month. Okay. So, so, so you can, happened, but... you can get that plan just for one month for an annual. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, did you have to then cancel that plan? Yeah. So there's, I think there's a way that you can set it up automatically. Um, but of course when I did it, I didn't do it that way. So mm -hmm. I set it up to run on October and went through December, January. And then I was like, wait a minute, why do I keep getting charged for this? Canceled. They gave me a refund for January and then said, well, you're still have to pay for December. Like, we understand we'll give you one month. You pay for the other month. So it kind of worked out as a wash. It is partly my mistake for not making sure it was canceled. Um, so they stuck me with one extra and they gave me one free. So you guys jump in a, pl in a plane on a flight with gear, had no problem with the gear. You had a plan for the gear, both coming and going as far as the cost, figuring an additional $300 on top of whatever you paid. If you get one elk and there was only one person with a tag, that was you, right? Um, yeah. So you're figuring one elk, so that's going to be your cost on top of it, unless Buddy plans on sharing it and sharing the meat, something like that. Um, uh, lose baggage, losing, or how'd the flight go? Did everything work out the way it planned? I hate to say it. I'm going to knock on wood, but everything went perfect, except for shooting an elk. <laughs> <laughs> no, everything went good. Never lost any bags. Nothing got misplaced the scope was on we got to a range that's a, that's a good point actually we got to, we landed in albuquerque hit up right. the, the rifle range recommend that wherever uh, you go so let me ask you this you did land in albuquerque you just came from mass you went to a rifle range and you and you sight in right yeah did you have to make any changes nope not a one everything was dead on everything was dead on granted it was a you know quote unquote top of the line fancy rifle scope but i think the money pays there you potentially get a cheap cheap so case you could that, have that's the other thing when we look at this list when we look at the list that you have there i mean i see an exo pack right so we're yeah. we're talking top of the line pack here uh brand new rifle uh fantastic scope uh, i mean you went right around $7,000 to do this. And this is including all your flight and everything. And yeah. you did not scrimp from what I'm seeing here, man. You, you, now no. there's some, there's some very effective stuff in here. That's not necessarily, um, it's, it's good solid equipment, not necessarily high dollar equipment as well. I mean, uh, I see that you went, uh, with, uh, so a layering system that was pretty solid. Yeah, I, you know, out here, you know, your clothes is important for tree stand hunting. It's good to be warm. But in all reality, you hunt for a long day. You maybe hunt for 12 hours doing an all-day sit for whitetails. So you can you can kind of suffer through the suck sometimes, stand up, stretch, kind of jump around a little bit and stand, warm up. Out there, if your gear fails, it's like you're you're out in the middle. You're you're six, seven hours from any retail shop between hiking and driving. So you can't afford to have cheap gear fail on you, in my opinion. You know, so I had the option to kind of go with the good stuff and just went with that and just go real minimalist. And Awesome. And you guys rented a vehicle once you got, you landed in Albuquerque and rented a vehicle, right? From yep. there. I mean, yeah. If so, this is the only thing, man. If if it's me and I'm getting ready to rent a truck to take up into the mountains in New Mexico, uh, I'm I think I'm getting the insurance. Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I should say now. So funny story. We uh, I think we opted out of the insurance. Really? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. It's one of those things when you do it on a budget, you get a pinch where you can, and that was one of the things I was like, ah, eh, we'll be all right. Oh, come um, on, dude. You just spent $7,000 on gear and you you said ant on the insurance? Uh, I know. Priorities, right? You can tell I'm young and dumb. I'm like, I'm checking. What's that for? Um, 
but yeah, so funny you funny you say that. So the uh, couple days or the night before the season opened, we're coming down this trail behind a cattle rancher, and he's going, and we're going down, driving down to the, our little camp setup. And next thing you know, I get a low uh, low air pressure reading for the tire. I'm like, oh no! I was like, don't tell me we got a flat. I'm like, this can't be good. Now I I like to think like I'm a handy person, but I'm right. in the middle of the wilderness and I'm nervous I just got a flat tire and I'm not gonna be able to change this so I'm blaring on the horn to get this rancher to pull over and I'm like hey I got a flat you know I'm let, I'll kind of let him know I'm like I'm from the east coast I'm a newbie I'm like I know how bad this looks I was like I'm just I'm just stopping you in case shit goes to heck right now so and it was a dodge I don't have a dodge so we couldn't find the jack for the truck or any of the tools to get the truck off, and I'm painting down. <laughs> so he's like, bomb down to your campsite, and then tear the truck apart, and you'll find the kit. So we go bombing down the mountain with a flat tire. Not, are not you are you, you're serious? We, we go, and I mean bombing down this mountain, front flat tire. We get to the camp, tear everything out of the truck. It is a yard sale of equipment. Um, <laughs> finally, we find the tools under the passenger seat in the front, which I found very odd, never thought to look there. Anyway, we found it, got the tire off, put the spare on, and then we're like, well, now what do we do? I'm like, I don't have a spare uh, a plug kit to, mm -hmm. you know, to plug the tire. So we go bombing down the mountain, we end up seeing a bunch of locals and they ended up patching the tire for us, patching the tire for us, putting air in it and giving us a plug. So get a plug kit at Walmart before you head to the mountains in case this happens. Because if we had a plug, we could have plugged it right then and there. But we didn't have a plug. So I'm standing there looking at the tire and the thing is just pissing air. And I'm just like, oh, geez, not the night before opener. I was like, this is not good. So so the the truck made it back without uh, a big dig on the on, on the side and <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think uh, I'll I'll continue. So we ended so we ended up hunting with the spare tire and left the other tire in the back the, that had a hole in it. We're like, all right, it's got a plug, it's got air, we'll be fine if any other tire gets a flat, that's not the case. <laughs> so after the hunt, we ended up just cruising around New Mexico, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, not crazy sightseeing, getting tamales, which uh -huh. is delicious. Um, and we pull into this auto shop and I'm like, Oh, I'm like, you want to um, check this spare tire out the original tire and see if um, you can put it back on. I was like, I got 20 bucks. I'll just have them do it. So, they go to put air in the tire, and that tire is completely blown. It won't hold air at all. I'm like, shit. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm like, I can't bring this back to the rental car or the rental place with a blown tire. So I'm like, I'm like, you know what? I was like, let's take the tire off the spare and put it on the rim of the normal one. <laughs> oh my so there's God. a so there's a Dodge somewhere with oh, a no, bad dude. spare, and I pray to God a hunter oh, doesn't get it. Oh, no, we didn't hear it here. We didn't hear it here, man. <laughs> you might have to edit that out. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's crazy, bud. Yeah, yeah. That, would have been, that would have been my big concern is uh, – so you felt pretty safe as far as renting a car and not worrying about anything happening to I it. I mean, we had, we had no clue what we were getting into. So knowing yeah. what I know now, you probably should get insurance because there was some stuff <laughs> we were taking. I was like, oh, I don't know. This Okay, so basically we know kind of what your costs were, what your logistics were to get out here um, as far as that went. Now, looking at this at this list, can you scroll up just a little bit for me? Because I, I want to make sure I, I see. Uh, um, so we have the inReach there, and yeah. the inReach is, is a pretty good cost. The Exos are pretty – I mean, there's – for a lot of guys that have stuff, I can see thousands of dollars chopping from this list immediately, oh, you know, if, if yeah. they're not going from ground zero. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I ended up buying a thousand dollar rifle with a thousand dollar scope. That's two grand. A backpack, six hundred bucks. I mean, you can cut some serious costs here using normal backpacks. And, and a, most hunters have rifles here on the East Coast. You can't even hunt with a rifle for right. deer. So right. I never even I didn't have a rifle. Right. Um, so I needed a rifle. I'm like, well, if I'm going to buy a rifle. I might as well buy a nice one. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can cut a ton of expenses here. The in reach, if you're confident in your backcountry skills i guess maybe you could cut that cost uh -huh. but as a couple of newbies i was like yeah we probably should get it just in case 
Yeah, two people together, um, I think, is a better situation. If I'm alone, there's no way I'm not going anywhere in the backcountry without an in-reach or yeah. a spot or something like that. If, you, if you're soloing it, you had better have something like that with a plan. If there's two of you, then, you know, that's, that's a little bit different situation. You can, get, you can get by with some of that. And so we looking at your list here, was there anything that you were like, man, I, I, I wish I didn't have that with me or, or the next time I come, that's not going to be in the pack. You know, something there's, and uh, as I was writing notes last night, you know, getting ready to talk for today, the only thing I wouldn't have brought was a spotter, a spotting scope. Hmm. And the only re and this probably obviously depends on the type of hunt you're doing, location, geography. Um, and based on the Onyx, we thought we'd be able to have some glassing opportunities you know, sitting in the morning, the afternoons or the evenings and just sitting glass. And honestly, like there was maybe one or two spots we could have, but we easily could have did that with binoculars, you know? Right. So we brought the spotter out to that four mile hike. And then my cousin who packed in, he says, Dylan, we're never bringing this again. It's staying in the truck. I ain't lugging this piece of junk around that we ain't going to use because <laughs> it was a heavy spotter. Oh yeah. So that's, that's probably the only thing that I'm dead set against bringing unless I know for certain it's going to be a very high value. What about bad weather? Do you guys get hit with any bad weather? Oh, you make me nervous saying this. We had the best weather you could ask for. Every day was blue skies and sunny, you know, maybe a little overcast here and there, but it didn't rain once while we hunted. And what was your plan for bad weather? So I think you, let's see here. You know, we had some typical halfway decent rain gear. Nothing mm -hmm. crazy fancy, you know, just what we had. I didn't go out and buy camo rain gear. Um, I think it's all green is what I had, so I wasn't too worried about it. Right. But, you know, we both had ponchos. Throw a poncho in the pack. It's light because it never called for rain. So we decided to leave our rain gear at the truck and just hold on to that poncho. So if, that, if it was going to rain, you whip that poncho out. It wasn't called for, so it probably would have been a passing storm lay low, let it pass, keep everything dry, backpack, gun, and yourself, and your clothes, and then shake that off, throw it in your pack, and keep on hunting when the weather gets nice. So yeah, I don't know if it would have worked, but that was my plan. Well, you know, that uh, that's something I've mentioned to people. I have, you know, I take guys out all the time, and, and they have top-of-the-line, top-of-the-line rain gear. And um, a lot of times that I see, and I, all I carry is a poncho. And I've been in situations where we get, we, and what happens in New Mexico, it's like, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. So we get these pounding thunderstorms that'll just hit you for five, 10 minutes, and then sun's back out. But I mean, for five, 10 minutes, it is pounding you. And, and I, what, what I do with my poncho is, is, you know, I sit down on the ground, I put my poncho out almost, you know, uh, it's kind of square and I've got my bow under, I got my pack under it. I have all my gear under it. I duck my head and I'm just like a pig in a pod, man, and stay completely dry. And I, and I look up and <laughs> there, there's the guys that are with me and they're in rain gear, but water is running down, soaking their hands, soaking their equipment, soaking their pack. And, uh, and, and they're just stuck in there. And then when that 10 minutes is over and they need to get their gear off because it gets warm again, now they have this thick, bulky, wet, uh, you know, rain outfit that they're trying to pack inside their pack. And, you know, for me, it's a little shake, fold, 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 and, and I'm back in business off there. So I, I just think that it's so, so much more effective in a lot of ways in the right, in the right terrain, the right um, area, because I, I don't, you know, if I was going to hunt in uh, Alaska, where I was going to be in wet every day, all day, where rain can, you know, come up from the ground at you, uh, I think it'd be different because I'd be living in it, you know, totally. Yeah. Different. Yeah. It's like out here, it's the same thing with New England, the weather changes on a dime. So, but like if we're here and a rain, a rainstorm comes through and you're in the tree stand, you know, you get wet, but you're only there for two hours or three hours by the time, you know, either the morning hunts over or the evening hunts over. So it sucks for a couple hours, but then it's over. Out west, if you're out there for five days, you don't have a dryer machine handy to dry your clothes and go back out. So that's why I was like, you know, we should probably just keep a poncho in the bag just in case, you know, right. we had a crazy storm come through for that scenario. So a five-day hunt, how many days did you plan for between landing 
and taking off? So we flew, so the hunt was Saturday to Wednesday, Saturday to Wednesday. Yep. Five day hunt. And we flew in on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So that gave us three days prior to season opening one day for your logistics, two days for scouting. And then Wednesday, the hunt ended and we flew home on Saturday. So that would have gave us uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, potentially our flight, what I believe was in the evening. What did a couple of Easterners do with three days in New Mexico after the hunt was over? (laughs) Sit in the (laughs) hotel and enjoy a nice hot shower. (laughs) And eat good food. I am so anxious to get back and have some food. Man, I tell you, the food was phenomenal. Awesome. I'm so impressed. I'm like, that's all my cousin and I talk about is this tamale shop we went to I can't remember the name of it. It's going to kill me, but oh, it was so good. I just want tamales like all the time now. So what, when, when you went to the restaurants, what was the number one question that, that you got from people when you were there? What are you, what are you doing out here? <laughs> That's a long way from home. But usually um, when, when guys order food out there, um, most of the time it's asked if you want chili with that. You know? Oh, yeah, and, we got that explained to us. <laughs> and then it's not just uh if you say oh yeah i want some chili then you then you get the next question red or green red or green right well, we got every every time we go somewhere like we'll have both every way give it whatever way you want okay so what i'm gonna i'm gonna help you out the next time that you're here man it, it's hard to get past that accent of yours but uh, so the so the next time they ask you just say it real quick christmas okay yeah christmas there you go red and Ah, green man that's christmas out here i'm gonna look like a local now yeah yeah you're gonna have it down so taking a look we've covered your cost from the beginning and again uh i want to emphasize you basically bought every piece of equipment as well as a tag as well as renting your car as i mean you're you're talking um it was like somebody that was starting from ground zero and yeah. came out here on what some people and hunted on what some people would pay for or even less than a guided elk hunt. Yeah, that's a great point is, you know, for seven grand, I easily could have went on a, like a quote unquote fancy guided elk hunt. Okay, but- so let, let me make sure I quantify that. Um, there, there's different levels of fancy on that <laughs> but but yeah you could have gone on a on a a, a quality guided elk hunt for that amount yeah. um generally in new mexico where they're going to put you up they're going to feed you or anything like that in just regular kind of bunk out tent type quarters anywhere from six thousand to seven thousand dollars right in that range sometimes you can find them fifty five hundred it just depends yeah but i mean those okay. hunts can go as glam cam as you want it to be uh all the way up to ranches up in my area that will cost you anywhere from twelve to fifteen thousand dollars just to hunt an elk. So, That's um, crazy. yeah, yeah, it's. I, I mean, I, I guided places where I would never be able to uh, afford a hunt. But, um, but the point I want to make is, you actually, <laughs> you went uh, full Monty man on on for uh, you got all new everything. You're set now, right? Yeah. Well, that's the plan. You know, I like to look at things in the long term. You know, like I was saying, you know, I'm young. I love to hunt. I love to fish. I plan on doing this for a long time and as long as I can. So, you know, there's a lot of guys said, well, why don't you just go every other year, maybe do guided every year, try and save costs that way. And I'm like, no way, man. I'm like, you only get so many sunrises. I want to hunt every single year and do it as affordably, but as fun as I can. And there's nothing wrong with doing things the hard way and failing and learning. Because when you succeed doing something that you've struggled at for, you know, it's, it's so rewarding to be able to do something like that and doing it the way we did. I won't, I wouldn't change a thing, you know? Yeah. I spent a lot of money this year and didn't come up with an elk, but I had the most fun in seven days that I've had in a long time. Yeah. That's way cool, man. That that's way awesome. And, uh, I, I think it's important to remember things like that and, and to understand there's a lot of guys out there going, well, man, there's no way I can spend seven grand to do something like this. But so if you had to, if you had to gather up two grand in a year's time. Okay. So we're talking, uh, 150 weeks. What's that? 
I was going to say, you look, if you're looking at a per month for 2000 bucks, you know, you're almost at 200 bucks a month. About 200 bucks a month, right? Beer money. It's everybody's beer money. Well, I, I know if I fill up my vehicle twice, you know, uh, I've, I've spent yeah. uh, easily over a hundred bucks. So um, just cutting down something like that, or, you know, thinking about uh, those little things that you do and you can put that aside. It just depends on what your priority is with that, but it's so, so doable. Uh, it's yeah. it's very doable. And that's really considering, is. you know, your license and, and your tag and everything was, uh, it was what, $600 right around yeah, there? Yeah, I think it was seven and change. Okay. Seven so, and change. So a big part of that is going towards that. I think in Colorado, you're looking at right around seven hundred dollars yep. if you go there for over the counter when you do that. So uh, again, we're very doable. So I want to ask you this. I mean, you did it. You got the equipment. You um, you got the flight. Everything went good like that. You got here. You had a plan for getting home. Um, you understood what the costs were going to be like that. You know, you had a great plan. As talking, you know, I would have been curious to find out how well that worked. I mean, I would love to have, as you would have, for you to have gotten an elk because I would have loved to have seen if you'd have gotten that booger back frozen and in a cooler ready by Saturday to fly out. Um, That would have been the interesting part if you'd have gotten it on the last day. Yeah, I was, you know, I was a little nervous about that. You know, if we did shoot on the last day and we had to haul it out and pack it out, even if a pack were to help us, you still have to drive it maybe three hours, five hours, depending on the nearest packer. Right. So, you know, this, I'm not saying it's a foolproof plan, but when I think about it in my head, it, logistically, the logistics made sense to me, you know, give them a couple of days to process it and fly it home. And I think we had a possibility of maybe bumping our flight back Sunday if we wanted to. Right. So that was the other thing about luck, unluckily or luckily for New Mexico, that, that hunt runs Saturday to Wednesday. Right. So you don't have to burn vacation for Saturday and Sunday. Right. What you do for um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. and I decided to burn the Thursday and Friday. And that buys me actually Saturday and Sunday if I sure. want to fly home on Sunday. Good um, point. Yeah, so depending on the hunt schedule, how those line up, those dates and calendar days and vacation time that everybody has, you know, it's tricky, but with a little bit of forethought, you know, you can make it work. Yeah, and that's what I was saying is is that flight would have definitely most likely had to have been as late as possible on a Saturday. And a good thing that you could bump it like that, um, because I have trouble getting the cable guy in three days. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) (laughs) getting me done like that, uh, that might've been interesting. And, and so one packer, two packers, how did that work as far as guys that were willing to pack this out for you? We had, I had two got two circle outfitters, circle J outfit or something like that. Mm -hmm. I had two packers lined up and um, they said, if you get one, send us the coordinates and we'll come 500 bucks flat rate. That's it. 500 bucks. 500 bucks flat rate. I don't know if that's cheap. I don't know if that's expensive, but to me and my cousin were like 250 bucks a piece. Cause we're going to split meat. I was like, worth it for me worth it for you. He's like, yep. So, so it would have cost you and your cousin beyond everything else. Um, if with both of you splitting it, when you think about getting that meat back home between $500 and the $300, uh, that you guys had to do there about, you know, you know what I'm saying? So you're looking yeah. at 400 bucks a piece just to get the meat home. Right. Yeah, plus the butchering cost. So that, so three hundred bucks for a flight. Well, three to four for flying at home. Five hundred for packing. If you decide to pack it out, then you have to pay the butcher. Yeah, and, about about two hundred and thirty bucks. And if you had to pay extra to get it expedited, you're probably looking at three hundred some dollars, right? Yeah. So I budgeted in my mind like another five hundred bucks in case you want to do something crazy. You know, do okay. crazy sausage or, you know, I type. Right. You know, overestimate what I think it's going to cost that way when the hunt's over. You know, I got a little extra to spare if I spend everything I intended to spend. Now, I will say that I've also heard of guys, um, what they've done is because, like, for example, uh, your your baggage that you guys had. You had your, your cooler that you were checking. I've heard of guys also freezing meat. And between the two of you, you had four checked bags that you could have done. I've seen where the guys have also taken their checked baggage and put in free, frozen meat in that and also taking it home as well. 
Yeah, I know a buddy who does that with when he goes out to I think South Dakota pheasant hunting, um, mm-hmm. and he'll fly home meat like that. It won't even bring a cooler, just a little soft cooler, sticks right. it in his normal suitcase, mm-hmm. and he runs it that way. Um, and if we came, if like I guess if I shot a really really big bull, mm-hmm. and the three coolers were all full, so 150 pounds in one cooler, 150 pounds in another cooler, and then as much as we could have fit in the Yeti, if all of those were full then we would have took meat in the bag because we were going to pay for overweight anyway. So we might as well fill it up and keep it safe in a cooler than well, have it. In yeah. I got news now. for you. Rocky mountain elk in October is going to weigh um, on the hoof because uh, in September, they're going to weigh right around when they're, when they're gutted right around 700 pounds on the hoof. I mean, that's being gutted. So, um, and then by October, they're going to drop down just because of the rut. They're going to drop down yeah. to about 500 pounds. So if you would have gotten 200 pounds of meat after all bone, everything has yeah. worked, you'd have been doing pretty good. So th- that would have been a pretty good plan. And I don't, now if you're in Oregon, y'all, and you're doing a Rosie, that might be a little bit different story. You know, they're a little bit bigger there. And, and I don't think they travel the distances, so I'm not sure what their weight loss percentage is. But, you know, I see it all the time here because we bring animals in to get weighed from beginning of the season throughout. And and I tell you what, man, the rut really works these guys yeah. over. It really does. Yeah. So We see real similar things here with whitetails, like everybody does, I'm sure. You know, they're out here, they're pushing 200 pounds, you know, in the midst of the rut or right at peak rut before they start breeding hard and losing weight. Right. And once the rut ends, you know, they, they've lost a lot of weight by the end of the rut, especially depending on how hard the fall is in the early winter, they can lose weight even faster. So, yeah, I can see how they, for that rifle hunt, they wouldn't be as big as they would be come peak rut. Or, you know, now, you said rut. the equipment that you wouldn't take, like uh, you would have left the spotting scope at home um, yeah. the, the next time. Is there anything else about the hunt? Other than you would have you would have killed an elk. Is there anything else you would have changed? Maybe. I think um, I'm trying to think, and I always like to think myself. You know, what would I have changed to be successful that way in the future? Next year, we can be successful. Now, everybody always oh, I've heard in a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos that the post rut hunt is going to be the hardest hunt. Correct. In terms of finding elk, so I'm trying not to look at it. Look on. A, look on us in a too hard of a manner because it, it seems like most success rates are pretty low for that hunt. Um, but I think we just would have had to hunt a little more. You know, I think we just got overwhelmed by not overwhelmed. We just had too much fun. So Honestly, we, just, we just had fun out there. I want to make sure. And it, when you say that though, it's the hardest time to post rut is the hardest time to find an elk. I'd say it's the hardest time to find a big bull, not necessarily a bull because there's still a lot of those um, satellite bulls that have now gone in with the herds and are still screaming. There's still a lot of that happening there. But those big guys, they're, they're the ones that have bailed off. They've separated out. And now these smaller fives and these, uh, they've gone into the herds and they're actually kind of practicing for next year. So yeah. uh, if, if you can get one singing, if you can get one singing, and, that, and that's half the battle, right? Locating and getting on one. Yeah. Yeah. We got one to bugle the first night we were there. We set up our camp, at, you know, a place we thought we may want to hunt. And as we're, it was probably, I can't even remember what it was dark. So we're setting up camp, getting into our sleeping bags. And we hear this noise that we've never heard before off in the distance. And I kind of sit up, go to my cousin, like, Hey, you hear that? He's like, I think so. I was like, I think it might've been a bugle. I mean, we've never heard it before. Right. And sure enough, this elk just starts ripping a bugle and we about lost it. And I ran over because we camped right at the truck. I ran over the truck, grabbed my bugle and we were bugling back and forth. And it was, uh, it was awesome. And we wanted to hunt there, but it didn't end up working out. There was a ton of people in there, but yeah, to find, once we had them located, I was like, oh my God, I was like, this is going to be a cakewalk. I'm like, they're bugling right back to me. We'll be able to walk right up to them and shoot them. Um, but uh, some circumstances changed and the dynamic change of that area. So we ended up bailing out of there. But yeah, I can imagine if you got them singing and nobody else is around, how the tables turn. So Dylan, before we get out of here, is there anything that, uh, any message that you'd like to get those people that are thinking about the first time going out on a Western elk hunt? Yeah. 
just go. Don't even think about it. Just go. I mean, there's always an excuse to not do something. It's too much money. You know, I don't have the vacation time. Work's too busy. The family has a lot going on. You know, it's easy for me to say being young, I don't have kids or a wife, you know, girlfriend can be, uh, she doesn't like me to leave all the time. But there's, you know, there's always an excuse of to not do something. So, you know, if you really want to do it, just do it, you know, put the time aside, do your research. If you got to save your pennies, you know, don't go to the bar every Friday night, maybe go every other Friday night, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's possible for anybody to go. I've never elk hunted once in my life. I've always dreamed about it. And last year we went and it was honestly probably one of the greatest, greatest experiences I've ever had. And from here on out, I'll be going every year because it honestly, it's really life changing to go out there and to see the world in a different light from being on the East coast. I mean, it's totally different. Uh, that's an awesome message. That's an awesome place for us to end this. Um, I, I want to thank you for being here today and sharing what you've done. Because like I told you, when we, when we talked about this whole thing, uh, Joe Gillia has never hunted outside of New Mexico for elk, man. It's been <laughs> here uh, my whole life. So I, I don't have that expertise. And a lot of these questions I ask you are questions that I have. Um, if I were to head north to hunt moose or something like that. So uh, I, I think it's a great time spent. I think it's great of you to share that information. And uh, uh, I'm hoping that the next time um, you get one of those hunts, we get to meet in person, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'll be reaching out to you. All right. So, guys, everybody, thank you for listening and listening in on the show today. And we hope to see you the next time on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.